Welcome inside the Legends Lounge, where baseball VIPs are hanging out and talking about their life in the game. Oh, I'm excited for this one. He is a human highlight reel. Super athleticism, cool guy. He's on television nowadays. Cardinals fans know him super well out there these days. You'll see him sometimes on pre and post game coverage. And also I heard him on some games the other day, some big games too. It was Brewers Cardinals over the weekend. So he's involved with one of the greater fan bases in my mind in sports. Cardinals fans, super dedicated, really loyal, and they're loving what they're seeing, not just from what the team's doing on the field this year, but it's who's involved. It's some of the icons in the organization. It's Yachty. It's Wayno who went nine innings the other day. I mean, you're getting, I wouldn't even say a blast from the past, just this consistency, especially with Wayno and Yachty, and then Pujols coming back to the team. It's just been a really, in my mind, fun season to be a Cardinals fan. They're not blowing away the competition. They're in an absolute fight for the National League Central, but really cool to be a Cardinals fan in my mind. I know, hey, they expect a winning ball club every year. They pretty much get that. It's not a team that's you know going to be a World Series contender every season, but they're going to have a shot to be in the playoffs every year. You're seeing that yet again with this ball club. I know sometimes, like I've spoken to some Cardinals fans recently that wanted them to do more at the trade deadline, but Overall, fun to be a Cardinals fan. You know this guy very well. Even if you are not a Cardinals fan, Jim Edmonds has done some big things in Major League Baseball, highlight reel-wise, longevity in his career, near Hall of Fame numbers, and a very special cameo that we'll ask him about as well. Jim Edmonds in the lounge. Seventeen-year big leaguer coming through, mostly with the Angels and Cardinals. Career OPS above nine hundred, healthy five twenty-seven career slugging percentage. Four-time All-Star, eight-time Gold Glove winner, World Series ring from two thousand six. Super athlete Jim Edmonds in the lounge. How'd I do, Jim? I think that's pretty good. Good. I, I, that's uh, it's a lot. I don't know. If <laughs> but know wait, if there's more. Good qualifications or not? But wait, there's more. That's why we're here. But when you reflect (laughs) on that, how does that sound? I mean, what you did over that time period. And of course, you've had a lot of success since then. And you're quite active, which we'll get into. But how does that sound? You know, a lot of times I talk to players even nowadays who say, you know, I'll reflect on the individual stuff after my playing career. Well, okay, you can do that. (laughs) Yeah, that's funny, because that's kind of how I thought about it. And um, it's weird. It goes in a blink of an eye. It really does. Um, I'm sure Russ can say like all the things they've done over the years and just you wake up one morning and it's gone. Um, it was fun. I had a blast. Like that's kind of the thing I, everyone says, what was the best moment? I'm like every day, you know, uh, every day going to the ballpark, every day walking out, every day getting, uh, especially playing here in St. Louis with the crowd and the, and the, and just the electricity and being able to go on the road and, and playing in front of fans, getting booed, getting cheered and, and, and visiting cities. Like the whole thing is just, it's kind of overwhelming. And then look at stats <clears throat> and you know, you, if you're a good player, you're a perfectionist. So you start looking at all the stats. You just came up short uh, in a couple here and there. And so I'm thinking, man, if I would have just not gotten hurt here or been more careful here, I'd have got to that next plateau. <clears throat> and that's interesting. You say that Jimmy, because you were, um, I mean, a 
the only thing I can think of is a never to be forgotten player in your time. Uh, the, the way that you played, uh, the, the, not only the timing, um, but really for me, two things stand out. We're going to hit on the second one later because this is more uh, kind of like X's and O's uh, for me and you as former players. But it's the catch, obviously, where you had no fear. But that was kind of the way you played all. And you talk about, you know, the injuries. And one of the reasons is because you played so darn hard and, and were fearless. Uh, I got to play for a couple of years with Andy Van Slyke, with Slick. And, and, you know, it was the only other guy that I could think that was similar to you. And that's definitely, I think, you would take as a compliment. And then the stance. Oh, yeah. The stance right is about. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah, I oh, see him at the right. gym all the time. Get out of here. <laughs> Tell him I say hello. Tell him I hello. will. I, I love Slick, man. Getting to watch that guy play personally was incredible. And oh, then they the run stance. through walls together at the gym. Huh? They, pro- they probably do. They must like, oh, dude, hey, what's up? Okay, hey, listen, there's a <laughs> rope over there. You need to climb it and then swing against the wall. These young guys don't know how to do this, uh, but you're not, you guys are fearless. And then the stand, stance, we'll talk about that later. Uh, and that is the no stride because I, I thought it was an interesting advent. But the first one, you were fearless, man. I mean, is that just as, as a three-year-old you started that craziness? Well, you know, it's really funny. I, I Everyone's asked me all these questions over the years, and I thought about it for a while. And I think that I have to go back to when I was a kid. I used to have a really good friend who was better than I was. And his dad threw us batting practice every day. And we went to Cal Poly Pomona. And so we're out, you know, as kids, 10 years old, 11 year old, 12 year old, 13, 14, all the way up to the high school. And we were playing on this really big field. And so he would hit a, bu- a bucket of balls and I would go stand out in the outfield and I would just run around and chase balls for the hundred swings he took. And then he would do the same thing, but he's a shortstop. So he stayed at short and I would try to hit ground balls at him and then obviously hit home runs. But um, I think that partially led into why I was able to play so well on defense um, as I saw, you know, a couple hundred fly balls a day for years and years and years before I even stepped foot on a baseball field. And then the one thing that really helped me was when we first got to Anaheim, I don't know if you remember the old stadium before they redid it, it was uh, part Rams, part angels. And so the fence was basically a chain link fence that they had stuck in the ground with poles and then they put a padding over the poles, what was about this thick. And then it was just a tarp basically. And so, you know, I'd run out there my rookie year and kind of bounce into it and lean into it. And then um, every day during batting practice, I'd run around and the kids were, the guys would be like, kid, you're going to kill yourself. Kid, you're going to kill yourself. Kid, slow down. Kid this, kid that. And so one day I was like running and jumping into it. And I realized, hey, I really think I can get hurt running into this. And so over time, it just became like a little bit more aggressive, a little bit more aggressive. I figured out if I could jump. The cool thing was in a chain link fence, you know, it's not just a square with the, um, you know, the gate in the middle. There's a bar in the middle, too. So it was a square. And then there was a bar going across the middle, kind of keep it from just like giving way, you know, like you see some of these fences, like you just hit it and it just stops. So I realized one, if I ran, if I jumped hard enough, I could get my foot above that bar. I could get way over the wall to catch a home run. And then two, there really was no way to get hurt. I could run into it at full speed. And I did that a couple of times. One of the best catches that I never made, um, Chuck Finley was throwing a no hitter against the Yankees and about the seventh inning, um, 
a guy hit a ball in the left center field and on a dead sprint, I put my hand out, the ball hit my glove and I hit the fence at the same time. And it literally shot me back almost completely back off of the um, warning track onto the grass. That's how far it shot me back. And the ball bounced out of my glove at the same time. And then didn't make the play, but at that time I thought, man, I can't get hurt on this field. So I'm just going to go after everything as, as hard as I can. And then, you know, that kind of just um, progressed into a lot of the fields were like that at the time and they slowly got a little bit harder. So I slowed down just a little bit as I got older, but it was too late. I mean, then it was, you know, the, the animal was born, you know, it, right. it just, and you know, the coolest thing too is it's not about the people standing up and cheering for you. It, it was about my teammates, man. When I would come off the field and Mark Langson and Chuck Finley and I have my first year, Lee Smith was our closer and Troy Percival and those guys, when those guys would stand at the top step and wait for you to come in and give you a high five on your efforts. I mean, that was, that meant more to me. And, and so the, the fact that you say, you know, you'll never be forgotten for the way you play though. Those are the things that are most important to me. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's like a playground though. I mean, the description mm. there, I think we need Gosh. to recreate that for all yeah. the ballparks where you can't get hurt against the wall. I and mean, that, well, you're not going to produce that. better I can, plays. I can make that fence to a T and you would never have anyone running into the wall getting hurt ever again. Well, I'm shocked then why we don't do that because the, the other problem I always have with ball, ballparks is like, I think Miami did it somewhat recently. Maybe, Oh, you can help me out. Mm -hmm. Every ballpark should make it possible for home run robbery. If you right. have walls that are too 100%. tall, you are taking away athleticism from outfielders. And it is one of the best, sweetest, most visible, most highlighted plays in the game. So if you suddenly like I didn't didn't Miami do that at some point? Yeah, they did. Oh, yeah, they, they the way they, they the wall and I was like, are you kidding me? Like I yeah. get it. You want to uh, make it whatever. You want to make the dimensions. They're they're mostly thinking about the offensive side of how they want to construct a ballpark. But I'm like, the one thing that you need to make sure you do is keep it at a height that's doable, so that our yeah. outfield the only sport you could do athleticism. That. Of course, why yeah. would you do that? Wrigley used to bum me out playing defense there because there's just no chance. I mean, I yeah. love playing there, but. You know, the ball goes over your head. You might as well just wait for it to bounce off the wall and come back. But, you know, a lot of the ballparks now are built on just pure, this is all the room that they have. You think about Minute Maid Park, how, you're, uh, you know, in Houston, how the, the uh, you know, the street goes right behind the um, train and um, the wall there is like Boston. You know, think about Boston is built the same way. They've had to cut it off. And so, yeah, it's, I, I think, to be honest with you, if as, as much as we talk about stats and, and, and stuff like that, like, is it fair for a certain guy to, you know, you know, talk about the guys that played in or, uh, Colorado, right? You tell me Larry Walker doesn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame first ballot, no matter where he plays. It's unheard of, but we don't have an area. We don't have any of the stadiums that are that are built the same. So how can the guys in Colorado playing on a field that's twice as big as anywhere else get knocked for the altitude? But then you can go to Yankee Stadium and guys can get jam shots to right center field and have and, and go deep all day long. And Minute Maid Park, the same thing. You can fly by. I just used to try to hit fly balls to left field there to hit a home run. I mean, sure. Arrestus, how about this one? Uh, Oswald's pitching. We're in Houston. Roy. And uh, he throws me a fastball kind of middle, middle in. It's on the plate, but it's not in. And I literally try to inside out it. And I swing and I just, I'm like, God, I just missed this. And I kind of backed out of the box and I looked down to put my foot in the box and I see um, Brad looking at me. He's going, 
you're seriously trying to hit it into the Crawford boxes, aren't you? And I go, why not? It's right there. I was like, he was blown away. So he just thought I was, yeah, I was just inside, on a pitch like middle in. I was right. trying to hit it. <laughs> but you know what? I, I tell you, and I think it's a great point you both make because baseball, think about this, the only sport, every, every other, other sport has, you know, the, the dimensions are the same. The, 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 you know, the outside or, or if this is, is different, oh, wow, you go to whatever, you know, in basketball, Boston Garden, but baseball has that uniqueness that when you walk into a ballpark, sans, you know, the era of that I kind of ushered in because I'm older than you, Jimmy, and that is in the 70s and 80s when they yeah, were you had the old stadiums. Yeah, they cookie cutter stadiums where I played in Pittsburgh, St. Louis. I love those stadiums. I love them. the old school, the, the same yes. cookie cutter ones, veteran. I love them. Dude, I, I was going to the same ballpark though, man. Yeah, it was hard I, I turf. Know. I loved Old Bush. I played only in Philadelphia one or two times. Uh, Cincinnati a few times. Pittsburgh, Three Rivers. Uh, Pittsburgh once, okay. but um, I, I loved them one. I loved them one one reason because uh, on turf you could be super lazy. I don't know if I'd like to play on them every day, but you could kind of just lay back on every ball that was hit on the ground and wait for it, just throw it in. You could run better, um, but I thought the ball carried, and some of those ballparks were bigger. Um, yeah, go they back definitely to were. Astrodome, maybe, and stuff like that. And the hated old, the Astrodome. Yeah, old Cleveland. But I always thought, like, God, if I would have played in the Central and the NL Central with Bush the way it was, you know, when Mark was, you know, when they took the turf away and Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, and uh, Philly, I think I'd have a hundred more home runs. I mean, I it, it's right. The ball flew in some of those ballparks and. I hit a couple balls in Philly that I thought, nah, I got that ball pretty good. And it went in the upper, upper deck. And I was like, holy crap, like, how did it go that far? You know, but I just thought they were fun. You know, I think, you know, when someone makes such a big deal about what a crappy old stadium something is and you walk in, it's a pleasant surprise. You're like, oh, it's not that bad. But when someone blows something up and you walk in and you're just like, oh, what's this all about? You know, it's like going to a restaurant. <laughs> you know, you go to a restaurant and you're like, oh, this place is great. And you bite into your food and you're like, what? Great. But if someone says it's mediocre and you go in there and you have, you know, you're surprised, you're like, oh, pleasantly surprised. But I kind of felt baseball. Of those old stadiums. But for the fans, I totally understand. And obviously for the money, the owners, but you got to move around. But it, I just enjoyed it. Under promise, over deliver. And also, old I want to go stadium. Awesome. Yep. That and, and you know what you're getting when you go there. Yeah, right? I loved it. I mean, yeah. it was happy, but it was fun to play. <laughs> hey, so speaking of numbers that could have changed, I, I did look back at your rookie season. I'm like, what the? You're, you're a rookie in 94? So we know what happened in 94. It was a strike-shortened season. So you're like, here I am, one of the best rookies in the league, full of energy, you want to play every day. And then the season gets cut short. How was that for like, I, I'm tight with Buck Showalter. He was managing the Yankees at the time, and he has his what if of, hey, I mean, yeah. I know the Expos were a big deal, Andre but I was managing yeah. a good Yankees team. Who knows what the future would have been for him in the Yanks? What about for you? I mean, obviously, the career worked out great, but just a rookie season cut short that had nothing to do with injuries or anything else that you could prevent. What was that like for you? Uh, broke. $107,000 doesn't go very far uh, mm -hmm. in the real world with, um, you know, uh, a whole off season to come, but I, I didn't really, um, I didn't really think too much about it because I think that our, in that era, they did a really nice job of letting us know what was going on. 
you know, we had a lot of older guys, like I said, Finley Langston, um, Lee Smith was on that team. Um, just a spike Owen, bunch of guys. And they were just like, Hey, this is, this is what we do. Like, this is how this goes. We're doing this for you guys. I know it sucks. And all of them said, if you guys need money, just give us a call. We'll definitely give you a loan. You know, they were, um, open about it. Finley and Langston were like, Hey, if you ever need anything, just call me. They live down the street. So I knew what we were doing. You know, they were, they were very, uh, very good about educating us why we were going, uh, on strike and, and what was it at stake. So, I knew in the future it was going to be something for me. And then I was going to have to pass that down, but it was a little bit of a bummer, but I just took off and went to Lake Havasu for the rest of the, the summer and <laughs> just sat there and waited. Hey, Oh, I want to get to, so let's, let's switch it up and get to some of the good stuff on the plane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I have a lot post playing career too. So I want to make yeah. sure. Well, I just, somebody just sent me a video. I think one of you guys sent, uh, of uh someone was doing maybe research i don't know if it was coming from y'all but uh the the myth the mystical uh ryan thomas said that uh somebody did something and saw a little entourage clip. yes see that was one that i want to ah. get to so perfect he, he laid me up you, you can go right. back to your place oh so okay no no I mean, doubt jim edmonds does a lot post playing career tv with the cardinals restaurants um appearances like entourage so I've seen every episode, but it's been a minute. I mean, Entourage, yeah. I think, finished. I think the last episode of, forget the movie, but of the series, I think was at least 10 plus years ago at this point, yeah. um, I, I believe. That was basically in the winter of like 04 or 05, maybe. Um, so you were on there. That's what, 16, 17 yeah. years ago. You make a cameo. Yeah, I got the clip sent to me. Jaden, another great yeah. one behind the scenes for us at uh, MLBPAA sends me the clip because I'm like he's like did you watch every episode I said yeah I did but I said I mean I just I don't remember everything and there's so many cameos. So fast, he goes, I mean come on he's in there it's quick but I was he's there, there for like eight hours and then we came down to the end so really interesting thing Kenny Dichter was the guy talking uh at the end there and so we what the best part about the whole show was I was on there for probably three seconds but I spent the day with like um you know, LeBron and um, Matt Damon and all these guys. And we hung out all day waiting for this scene. And so um, Kenny Dichter was the CEO of um, Marquee Jets that was NetJets. And they kind of went off on Marquee Jets, went off on their own. And then he sold that. And then it became Wheels Up, uh, mm -hmm. which we all know now is um, as, as Wheels Up as, as, as another great um, airline um, out there and so he was the CEO and so he was friends with um, one of the guys the one of the creators and so I got invited through Marquee Jets to it was like a Warren Buffett poker thing and so we're in Vegas and so we're you know we're just doing our thing walking around and this girl walks by and she's got an entourage hat on so and she sits down like right by me and so you know, no one says anything. And I think the girl that I was um, dating at the time said, oh, that's cute, Entourage, I love that show. And she says, oh, thank you. My husband was the creator. It was Doug Ellen's wife at the time. And uh, so I started talking and then, you know, her being a, a, a pretty br uh, blonde, they started talking and then she was like trying to work her way on the TV. And Doug was like, we'd love to have you guys come and check out. It's like next week is the last week and blah, 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 whatever. And so when we get there, he's like, Jimmy, I'm gonna get you in a scene. And she was like, what, what about me? You know, like kind of funny. <laughs> and so, so I go in there 
And Kenny Dichter is doing the, hey guys, what's up? You know, blah, blah, blah. Well, his lines were like two, three minutes long and he kept screwing them up over and Matt Damon was getting pissed and all the guys on the show are getting pissed. You know, they're like, this is the last episode of the last year or the last episode of the year, the last scene. All we have to do is get through this introduction, get on a plane and go. Um, and LeBron is just like, doesn't care. He's just like, whatever, you know? And so they just got, it got shorter because he couldn't handle his line shorter and shorter and shorter. And so basically it went from like, hey guys, you know, Jim Edmonds. Hey, this is so-and-so. Hey, this is so-and-so. Hey, everybody. How? And then all of a sudden now it's like, hey, Jimmy, so-and-so, you know, so-and-so. Yep. See yep. And I was like, yep. what? So <laughs> I was like, every minute that went by, my, my little time was getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And I was just like, oh my God. That was it, man. You could have been, you could have been somebody in Hollywood. Yeah, but it was the experience was cool. So, and then the, the best, the next best part was um, that night they had a rap uh, party and they rented out an entire restaurant. And I sat there with Matt Damon, his family and um, LeBron and, and all those guys. And we had a blast. That is an A-list hangout fun. right there. Oh, like that is some of the crap. I'll, I'll text you the scene, but see, there's a yeah, lot. Yeah, I want to check it out. seconds of yeah, television. I mean, cool. That night, too, they had the whole cast was there. Everyone was there. They had big tables at the dinner at a huge steakhouse in L.A. and closed it off, had music. Everyone was sitting down talking. It was it was awesome. Do you remember any like particular conversations or anything that stood out or were you big? I mean, I don't want to say you're, you're definitely not starstruck. Obviously you're who you are, but like anybody that you were excited was, to talk to, like how, Damon, for example, yeah, Matt Damon was unbelievable. Him and his wife were so friendly and so nice. LeBron was so awesome. He was I mean, young. Yeah, he was young. I couldn't imagine being bigger celebrities and being cooler to people that they didn't know. And, you know, the cast was great. Um, you know, uh, it was just fun. It was just one of those things that you're just like, you will not, I go home that night. And I'm like, you will not believe what just happened today. It was one of those, you know, like, won't believe this. And then it's always, it's always there, you know, like that's why it came up. I think someone was in our, on our crew watching it back recently and they're like, Jim Edmonds cameo. Hello. Yeah. That was, <laughs> yeah. I just wish it was a little bit longer, but it was fun. I did. They should have given you the lines, Jim. Yeah, I know. I wish, but that's the thing. Kenny went to school with, um, Doug Ellen. So they were buddies. And so um, that was kind of their thing. I, and uh, it was fun. I, I did our list one time with him. I loved him. He was always at the Dodger games, but just over the years meeting these people, all the, I'm surprised how many people are Cardinal fans, you know, we come yeah. out and there's more celebrities in our, in our dugout in our locker room than they were in the Dodgers locker room. So I thought it was interesting. Yeah. Why really? is that by the way? Cause I've come across many, I mean, uh, Ham, right? Isn't he a big yeah, Cardinals fan? Yeah. Um, Ham, uh, Andy Cohen, um, who, who yeah. I know in the New York City uh, area. John Goodman from St. Louis. Okay. John Goodman, I believe. I, you know what? I, I think because, you know, the middle of the country is is obviously so big. It's not just L.A. and or New York. But um, I was told back in the day and still maybe to this day, the Cardinals radio is, has the biggest signal um, in, in the, that was ever made, basically. And so... They said on a, on a nice day, you would get it at the southern tip of Canada and all the way down to almost the, the panhandle of Florida. So a lot of people grew up listening to the Cardinals on the radio before TV. And so I think the generation just rolls over and rolls over and rolls over. It's kind of like 
our generation of WGN and um, TBS, you know, like, yes, you knew who the Cubs and the, and the Braves were, but you didn't really even know the Yankees that well until they played on every Saturday. And that was all you had. So if the Yankees weren't so good all those years, you probably wouldn't even know half the players as when we were kids because they're never on TV. Oh, that's why Mike Shannon made bank. Man, I tell you what. Joe, um, uh, Jack Buck. Yep. yep. I mean, that, you know, just, um, but yeah, I, I'm still surprised at this day when people come to me and say, I'm from Oklahoma and I grew up, my grandpa used to listen to the Cardinals and my dad and then now me. And they still listen to it on the radio, which blows me away. And you know what? And, and But you're a West Coast guy growing up. Uh, give us a little bit of, of that before Jim Evans became, you know, the, again, the iconic ball player that he was. Uh, what what was your upbringing like? Uh, I grew up with, um, you know, a broken home. Uh, I lived with my dad. And uh, it was, I think it was, other than that, pretty normal. I mean, I grew up in a in a city diamond bar that probably had 10,000 people as a kid. And by the time I got to high school, it grew to probably 100. But um, I grew up playing Little League, you know. Um, we don't even have Little League here in, in St. Louis. Nope. Travel ball, grades. baby. Yeah, so... I grew up every, you know, Wednesday and Saturday, the whole city was basically in one spot and everyone was playing baseball. I remember when I got a little bit older, uh, Mike Harkey started to kind of rise to the top and we used to go early to watch him pitch uh, when he was a couple, he was always that one level above me. So I would go early to watch Mike Harkey pitch um, if he was in the next level, just because he was so intimidating as a young kid. And um, yeah, just little league in high school. And then, when I got drafted, I had no idea what the heck my coach came in and said, Hey, you got drafted in the seventh round. I was like, what does that mean? (laughs) It was in sitting in social studies, like on a Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday morning. I didn't know about the draft. That is a great story. Hey, eventually I'm going to get drafted, like going to play in the bigs or get drafted playing the minors. None of that. No, because when I was a kid, I was a pitcher and I had like what my dad's, I always heard my dad's friends say, oh, your son's got the golden arm. You know, he's like, I threw harder than everyone else in the entire area. And uh, I ended up hurting my arm a little bit right before my senior year. And so I just kept playing and tried to pitch, but played center field, had a really good season. But, you know, I went from being a prospect to being in the top. I, I thought that at one time, you know, there were some teams that said top two rounds pitcher. And then I knew when I got hurt, I was just like, whatever. So I'm going to go to JC and maybe play football and play back, you know, play outfield and just see what happens. And I got drafted. And I was like, what, what, what does that mean? Like, why did I get drafted? I can't pitch. And they're like, oh, you got drafted as an outfielder. So mm-hmm. I ended up hitting like, you know, 560 uh, in high school. And I think I tied the hit record at the time because we didn't play that many games. And um, you know, broke some records at the high school, but I, I mean, our high school wasn't that old, so it wasn't really that big of a deal. And um, kind of the rest is history. Went through the minor leagues and kind of just bust it, and it was random. I mean, it was it was crazy at the time. I thought there's no way I'm ever gonna make it, and then just kind of like next level, and the next level, and the next level, and then like, you know, and then so, really good <laughs> last level. And then you just keep rolling. Yeah. yeah and by was, the way, who was the little, or what was it when you were three or four or little league that you said was, was better than you at the time? Oh, my I, buddy, Corey, he was, uh, he was what did he do? um, what did he make it as an athlete I, somewhere? No, he got, we got drafted in the same year. He went to oh, JC. Cool. We went to JC or he went to JC. I draft, I signed, 
then he ended up draft he ended up signing at the end of the year like a draft and follow and he was with the angels too and so we played together in double a and then he got wow. and then he went to the cubs he's a really good player batting title uh with the cubs and i don't know what happened um after that and we kind of lost touch after a while but um his dad was one of the probably the main reasons why i got to where i was when i was a kid he uh he threw to me every day he was amazing his name was randy capano and uh um i always for the rest of my life would always be appreciative of what he did for our, for me and my family and him and my dad would coach together my dad and he would throw to us and um it was non-stop but yeah that's what i did i just grew up normal i really didn't have anything special i uh i took some cleats out of the lost and found my senior year so i'd have baseball cleats that had big hole in the toe my dad wouldn't buy me cleats because he's like i'll just use your football cleats i'm like dad you can't do that like <laughs> so couldn't afford much but uh right made it work those are the thank yous though it's thank you you know to my my buddy's exactly. dad for throwing thank you to whoever lost their cleats that i ended up buying <laughs> right. and lost and found. i'm serious thank the, you for the kid that left his cleats the year before and yeah lost and found yeah uh yeah he's looking for him still to this day Jimmy. and, <laughs> and then he heard you got him and he's like what edmonds are you kidding me yeah. hey what I, I again i can't as a former hitter you you did you did something that i hadn't seen and uh, i'm telling you i had not seen and i was around baseball before you and and even after you know i've been around it for almost 30 something 40 years uh you you spread out and and a lot of people uh, I mean, they'll have a short stride or they'll just lift their leg up and lift it down. You were the first guy I remember that would do the swivel. The toe stayed on the ground. You would swivel your, your heel and that was your stride. And then you had your swing. Trust me, I tried it and it just. Well, who do you think it. taught Soto? I mean, come on. Yeah. Excuse me? <laughs> I'm kidding. There it is. There it is. Part that's of the 550 the, that's the million Okay. Um, I know now a lot of guys do it, but I'm saying who taught you and where I was always fascinated. And want to see something it. really funny? Look at this. This is my son. There it wow. is. Wow, that, bro, that's your that's your that's it. That's your that's swing. Jim Edmund. That's that's Landon, right? Is that your that's son? Landon? Yeah. Wow. Look at. I heard he's a pretty good ball player because I keep track of draft prospects, all that stuff. He's getting there. He's getting there. You know, he uh, he's putting on some size, and he really works his tail off, and uh, and he loves it. He loves it. It's unfortunate, though. We live here in Missouri, and it rains a ton, and it yeah. does not get the same amount of games. And, you know, it's funny because I don't even think I had sleeves growing up in California, and this guy's got to have rain gear to go out there some days. So, <laughs> um, but back to your question, to be honest yeah. with you, um, Arrestus, I, um, coming up, didn't hit a lot of home runs, but I hit the ball, you know, in the air to left center fields, so in, inside-out swing. And I was, I really loved Don Mattingly. And I always like kind of, when I got deep in the counts, I started turning my toe in, I would spread out a little bit. And then I would kind of just really try to stay still and uh, keep my shoulders square. And that kind of progressed and progressed, but um, I only did it with two strikes. Joe Madden was our hitting instructor in the minor leagues. And he would do a lot of two strike stuff where he would flip the Ponza machine at us like really hard close. And he was like trying to figure out how to put it and just put it in play. And so I, I realized that you can't stride and do all that with two strikes and, and put the ball in play. Well, I started hitting home runs um, in double A and triple A. Um, not a lot, but a few with two strikes. And I thought, hmm, this is interesting. I can still have power and, and spread out. Well, then I got called up and then in a 94, 
Um, I only hit like four or five or I don't know. I don't even know how many home runs I hit, but, uh, but I remember like getting fastballs middle, middle in and just hitting two hoppers to second base. And I kept looking at the video and it was just because I would drift, you know, drift over the ball. And so to be honest with you, after the 94 season, when we went on strike, I did two things. I went straight to the weight room and I, it's funny. Um, remember Sean Green? Of course. Shano, the Dodgers. Yeah, yeah we had him on this spot. We just had him on, Mr. Yeah. Four parents had a, um, His parents had a little ba- uh, batting cage. Um, uh, and um, I guess it was in Tustin where he grew up. And so we became friends and I would go in there. And they had the old arm machine, which I now have in our basement here. And it threw the dimple balls and it threw it dead straight every time. So I went into the cage and I literally got so close to it where it was nicking my shirt. And I said, I got to figure out how to pull this ball in the air. And so I spent the entire winter fiddling around with it, whatever, blah, blah. blah. And I couldn't figure out how to stay back, still get a good swing out of it. So I just literally just my stride just started getting like, Wow. And I was just like, I'm just going to sit here and just try to spin. And then after about two months, it kind of just morphed into that. And then, you know, sometimes when guys were throwing harder, I would stand up a little taller. I would get a leg kick when I knew fastball was coming. And you can still see it in some of my older videos. Yeah, I, sometimes. But um, I, uh, you know, and it just kind of got more and more and more of that as I got older, I just really um, just stuck with it. It was just more or less to stay back. It wasn't because of any other thing, but I'm like, I got to be able to pull the ball in the air. I cannot roll over pitches right down the middle at 92 miles an hour. So um, that's where it came from. And I just like, I, said, I loved it. I, I went from um, in 94 when we left in August, right? Right in the middle of August. Yep. To 95 when I came back. I had put on 15 pounds and I was spread and ready to go. And I just came out on fire. And I think that was the year I hit like 300 with 33 and like a 107. Yeah. But uh, mm. we started off um, a couple of weeks late, but I just thought, okay, here we go. Like, this is it. And um, it worked. And another little special thank you to Sean Green. And yeah, the, uh, Sean, Green's parents. Back there. Sean Green's Sean parents, parents they, yes, they, which he does as, as well. He was the same way. He was like, I'm not here without the setup that my parents gave oh, me, yeah. period. And uh, and we have that stuff downstairs in our basement now. And, um, you know, and it's I, I went out of my way to go find this arm machine that I grew up hitting off of. And it really is, you know, they didn't charge me. I used to go in there, even in the big leagues, I would go in there in the offseason and, and, and hit and do all these things. So. Um, yeah, they were, the green family was great. Um, the iron Mike, John, Sean's sister and his mom and dad were just awesome. I've got, I said two things. It was, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the catch, no fear the, and the stance, no stride. I need to go to the catch. I just need, I need to hear from he's, you. He's I've never had a chance to walk me hand. through that catch <laughs> because what, if people not seen it, please Which look one? it up. No kidding. And, no and, kidding. and, and, and you've had so <laughs> many, many, but I mean, the one where you literally dive away from home plate straight into a wall head first. I mean, other than the William Mays catch in, in, in that, you know, in the, in the world series uh, the, that he spins and throws it back in. I, I catch for me. Cause you, you literally walk, go towards the wall and, and you're basically almost in the, in the warning track. So, you know, you may hit it head first to make a, you know, diving catch away from the field. What, what, what was going on in your head, man? Well, 
uh, it was funny because I was in Venezuela two years prior, three years prior, actually four or five years prior to that and made kind of the same similar catch, but more of a, you know, over the shoulder this way and just kind of running. And, um, you know, it was a perfect storm. It, it was a guy who flipped a curveball up there to a guy who didn't have a lot of power to the winning run being on second base with two outs. And it was just like, you know, I, I was one of those guys that I was like, man, if I don't catch this ball, we're going to lose this game basically, you know, and um, I prided myself on defense. So I thought every time the ball went up, I was going to do everything I could to catch it. And uh, Jason Dixon um, threw a hanging, like not a hanging breaking ball, but a breaking ball. Um, and it just kind of was um, David Howard just kind of, he didn't hit it. He just kind of backspinned it up in the air, but kind of made a break on, I knew I had to get back. So I turned the wrong way and just took off running. And it was weird. Uh, oh, and I was, someone was this weird talking about this the other day, old Kansas city, when you ran towards the fence, you ran downhill a little bit. And I'm wondering if this had something to do with it over time and not thinking about it. But when I was running, I could see the ball kind of up in the air, like at an angle. And then I could tell it was going back over my head, but it was kind of lofted. It was almost like a, someone threw it straight up in the air. It was kind of coming straight down. And so when I turned to look just enough, I just saw it and I knew where it was going. And I just took a chance. And, you know, I was, like I said, I turned the wrong way and kind of saw it the whole way, but I knew it was kind of tailing back over my other shoulder. And so I just, you know, I reached out and man, when I caught it, I was like, oh my God, don't let this thing fall out of my glove. <laughs> and this is an easy one for anyone listening. Just Jim Edmonds, the catch, and you'll see a billion clips of it. So oh, in it's, case it's for the, the youngsters glorious. out there, if someone glorious. has missed it or just forgot about it, it's epic. He's right, had many. So He's had many, but that's, he had that's many, like, but that, that one. That's what I'm talking it, about. You go to Google, you write Jim Edmonds, and then like start to type like the. It's like the catch. The catch. <laughs> there it is. Of a, yeah. The catch. That I liked is. it though. I, I love playing defense, man, because I thought offense was just so tough, and and it was so hit yes. and miss with what pitcher that day. You know, you got to square the ball up. And your best day, you hit a line drive right at somebody, you know, or you pop up or whatever. So I felt like I could control what I was doing in the outfield, and if I Paid attention to the to the pitch, to the signs, the location, the pitcher, the hitter. I thought I had a really good idea of where the ball is going to end up. And then um, I don't know if you realize this, but if you watch TV enough, you see the same really good hitters hitting the same pitches in the same spot in the stadium all the time. Mm -hmm. So I knew if this guy throws this pitch to this guy, this is where it's going to end up. And I just kind of played off that. And so um, it kind of really just... Uh, you know, kind of just came into a part of my game. It, what he just said there, oh, it describes why there are shifts. I know. <laughs> like I, I was, I was we're, thinking we're not going there. <laughs> we're not going there. He was a there. human analytic. We're not even touching. I'm not even letting anyone go. <laughs> well, I mean, if you, if you really think about it, like if you go back and I bet you um, if you watched his highlights, right? Um, if you watch Arrest's highlights, I bet you, you would probably see like if he had 100 home runs, I bet you. 50% of them would be kind of in that same location, you know, right. and it might be a different pitch, but they're all going to be kind of wherever his little area was, you know, and if you same for me, the ball will probably be out over the plate and up. Um, and Frank Thomas, the same thing. Like, um, Oh, do you remember uh, Bobby Knopp? He was our first base sure. coach, angels. Yeah. Great, yeah, great uh, guy, man. veteran OG. He taught me so much. And you know what he taught me? He, I was playing for this is funny. I was playing Frank Thomas. 
Jones or someone like that or Albert Bell in, in left field, left center field and kind of deep, you know, I was like, wait, oh, he's going to hit a home run. I'm going to catch this sucker and blah, blah. <laughs> so I came in and I was like, everything was great. And I was like, I'm so good at this game. Ha ha. You know, whatever. Bobby goes, Frank Thomas, let me ask you a question. What are you doing over there in left field, left center field? And I was like, I don't know. He's like, let me ask you another question. If he hits a fastball into left center field into the air, where do you think it's going to go? And you think you're going to catch it? And I'm like, eh, probably not. It's probably going to go up there in the seats. And he goes, play him in right center. And, <laughs> and I was like, all right. And then, you know, it was like the typical, if our pitcher makes a good pitch and he hits it the other way, that's the ball I want you to catch. I don't want you to catch the 2-0 fastball hit 450. I wanted you to catch the two one slider away that he mm -hmm. stays on and hits a line drive into right center field for an out. So that turned into, I mean, that turned me into a monster. That was like, I got it. You know, that's the way I'm gonna play the game. And then, so my brain started going crazy. Okay. Uh, who's going to make this pitch Finley. If those are split to this guy, where's he going to hit it? So I'd sneak in or if you hang, it's two and zero, and then it back up and then, it just, it turned me into like a, a machine when it was just all about counts and um, hitters and pitchers and everything. So I learned a lot. And then Dave Duncan took it to the next level because he did that same thing, but with each pitcher on top of the hitter. So it just, I really enjoyed that part of it. That is really cool. That is, yeah, that is when you're really mastering your craft. I like yep. that. We could do a whole episode on that. So I have, I have one more. one day. We should. I'm with you. We yeah, I, I have one guys like you know, guys like Jim that 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 really were connoisseurs of you know certain aspects of the game. Like he was he was a strong safety out there playing center field. <laughs> really interesting. But listen, you've been phenomenal. Um, such a you've taken us on such a great ride of so many different topics and things. Now take us on a shorter ride to the world of no way jose uh you've had time now while we've been talking to think of something zany that may have happened in your career and me knowing you a little bit as i do and other people have told me i think you were around zany enough oh man uh i played luck like, picking uh, one you know what's funny is um i was thinking about that i thought you were gonna go like when you started talking about anaheim i was i played with cecil ricky Tony Phillips, Mitch Williams, Bo Jackson, Lee Smith, all at the end of their career. Um, but one year, I think I was in Detroit and I had hit a home run on the roof. Uh, and I'm, I'm just, I don't know what, 24 years old. And Tony Phillips is on our team. And so I'm laying down stretching and I hear these guys yapping. And I'm just kind of minding my own business and we're in Detroit. And I hear this dude come over and he's like looking up and I see a shadow and I look up and I hear this. How many home runs you hit in the big leagues, boy? Who the hell do you think you are going off? And I was like, and Cecil's standing over me. And he's like, you hit a ball on the roof, so you think you're good? How many home runs you got in this league? What, 20, 15? I mean, going nuts. And I could just hear Tony Phillips in the corner going, like he just set me up so big and he was like our whole team is stretching and half our team's my age. And they're just looking at him and going like, Oh my God, they're screaming, screaming at him. Like he goes, I mean, if, if I were you, I'd be careful. You're going to get hit, blah, 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 whatever, you know, he was like going off. And then he, and then at the end he was like, I'm just kidding, man. He said, meet me after the game on our, at over by our locker room. I'll take you for a ride. And so um, after that, he took me out to dinner and him and Tony Phillips, 
in Detroit. And we just kind of drove home to the hotel um, and just had a really nice conversation, man. And it was awesome. And then within a year, I think he was in Anaheim after that. So it was, it was, it was eye-opening for a quick, quick experience. Um, It was awesome. And, you know, and then I ended up playing um, with uh, Prince and uh, you know, he's got two boys that were, wow, there were a handful when they were kids too. And I think one of them (laughs) getting pretty good. So there's so much, I mean, so much. I mean, we could, you could guys could call me every day for 10 minutes and we could go over something, something <laughs> put me on the spot. Now, I just told that You're story great. to someone the other day, but one of my favorites of that, they were just, when the guys that came through treated us like, you know, like, like kids, like they treated us like their own kids. And it was just so nice that kind of taught me how to pay back the players underneath me. And, um, you know, still to this day, I still mentor a little bit help. I mean, I got you know, kids in the big leagues with the Cardinals come down and they take swings in our batting cage during the, during the day, you know, during the daytime before they go to the stadium. And so I love that part of it. It's just the time consuming and the politics aspect. I could, uh, I could pass. Agreed. I think, Oh, you would definitely agree with all that. 100%. Play, right. Yeah. 100%. Well, we did it. We, we did it. And then some overtime yeah. extra innings, the whole deal. Like, yeah. Absolute pleasure, Jim. Really appreciate it. Glad we did this. And, and thanks. Dude. Thanks for everything you're doing and for joining us. I love it. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. For me personally, I mean, Jim Edmonds was great. This guy is grab a beer with kind of conversation. And the entourage story was too good. It was much deeper than I thought, too. Like turning into just a random day where you're around A-list celebrities. And he probably should have had a bigger role. I think he could have memorized the lines that were needed. But thanks to Jimmy. That was awesome. Let's do this week in baseball right now. I've got two for you. Number one, August 15th, 1991. Don Mattingly benched and fined 250 bucks. He refused to cut his shoulder-length hair. The Yankees still won the game. He gets a haircut two days later. Eventually, the hair that's cut off is auctioned off for 3000 bucks to benefit a children's charity. So it's all good. It all comes together there. Um, and he's not alone. Apparently, there were a few other players that were told that their hair length violated club policy. So uh, Mel Hall, who wears his hair in a small ponytail before and after games, is also warned that his appearance is borderline. If you ask me, I'm not about any of that. Like the rules on the facial hair, the length of hair, honestly ridiculous, I think at this point, uh, but that's a different time period. It was 1991. I think now in 2022, even the the hair policy with the Yankees, now the facial hair policy, like it's kind of fun when you see the guys, you know, shave and they move over to the Yanks. But really, I think it's a tradition that we need to squash. I think people should be able to express themselves however they want to, as long as they're not hurting anyone else. And that's clearly the case. That's my take. Anyway, one more for you. August 19th, 1982, uh, Pasquale Perez scheduled to pitch against the Expos in a home game, misses the start of the game, can't find his way to the ballpark. In the 80s, they did not have uh, Google Maps, MapQuest, etc. So he was screwed. Circles on the interstate several times, gets lost. Uh, he's given a Braves jacket with the new number I 85 on it, which is amazing. Phil Necro instead takes the mound. He wins five, four. Um, so I, I'm sure he's not the only guy at that time period to be late to a ballpark or get lost. I know some current guys I've spoken to in the past few years who switched teams and then they're, they know how to get to the ballpark of their old team, but they're going into the home parking lot. Like I'm, I'm pretty sure Chris Archer told me somewhat recently when 
he was playing the Rays at some point. He went into the home players parking lot and they're like, yo, you're a visitor now. And he's like, oops. So good stuff there. Let's finish strong in the lounge. So I figure with Jim Edmonds talking about his celebrity status and his entourage appearance, let's bring in CJ Wilson's Where Are They Now? CJ, pretty recently out of the bigs, Texas Rangers 05 to 11, Angels 2012 to 2015, a professional race car driver with Team MER Motorsports Enterprises Racing in 2010. So that's during his playing days. He won the E1 class in the 25 hours of Thunderhill. I don't know this stuff that well. Competed though. Fast forward in 2018 in the Pikes Peak International Hill Climb, also known as the Race to the Clouds. That sounds like something you play in Mario Kart. But anyway, he has since launched CJ Wilson Mazda Zoom Zoom Nation, which is a national franchise of Mazda dealerships. So he's deep in the car world. He's got an auto group that includes all, all, a lot of the big names, BMW, Audi, Porsche, McLaren, et cetera. He's got dealerships and he was named in the 40 under 40 class for business street online an award that highlights local innovators, industry leaders, and business pros in California's central Valley. So props to CJ making big moves in the automobile industry after he plays and definitely going to talk to our producers about getting him on for a show. That's a, a need that completely fits what we're doing here on brand for the lounge, which is now closed. See you next week. The Legends Lounge Podcast is brought to you by Major League Alumni Marketing. Hit us with questions or comments at legendslounge at mlbpaa.com. Check out our memorabilia at mlamauthentics.com. Later, Legends. Baseball Legends Lounge is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts.